Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I'm here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Cody Rose being in the ring. Cody would talk about the draft a little bit, but majority of the time he would talk about his match with Brock Lesnar upcoming at Backlash. Cody would talk about the importance of this match with Brock, and he would show still photos of Brock attacking him the night after WrestleMania. Cody would open his shirt to show his scar from his procedure from where he got his pec surgery. And Cody, since they're in Chicago, Cody would thank the fans for propping him up when he went against Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell because they were in Chicago for Hell in a Cell. So Cody just wanted to again show his support and thank you to the fans being there for helping him through a difficult time because that was one of the most brutal looking images that we have seen in wrestling before. And Cody admits that was one of the most difficult and hardest times he's actually actually had to compete because his freaking peck was torn off the bone. So yeah, it was pretty difficult for him. Um, after this, Cody would be interrupted by Finn Balor. Finn would say that he has watched Cody get screwed at Mania from the bloodline with Roman Reigns. And Finn says that Cody got screwed because he had nobody to watch his back. So you know where this is coming. Um, Cody would be extended an olive branch to enter the Judgment Day from Finn. Cody would respectfully turn Finn's offer down. And Cody would even stick his hand out so there would be no hard feelings. Finn would tell Cody that you're either with the Judgment Day or you're against them. And Cody would tell Finn that he is medically cleared. And if Finn wants a match, they can have a match tonight. So a match gets set for later in that night. Now the first match of the night for Raw will be a six-man tag match to Usos and Solo Sokoa. Going against Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and Toro Cruz. The Usos and Solo would win the match by pinfall. When Solo would catch Cruz jumping off the ropes with a Samoa Spike. And I promise you that Samoa Spike looked like it hit Cruz directly in the eye. But eh, it is what it is. And the Usos would finish off Cruz with the 1D for the win. After the match, the Usos would get the mics and dedicate their upcoming win against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn at SmackDown to the Tribal Chief Roman Reigns because, well, if the Usos do not win, they're in some trouble because Roman's kind of getting tired of them not having the championships. Um, and After this, throughout the rest of the night, you'll be seeing backstage uh, segments with Jay meeting up with Sami, Sami trying to tell Jay, listen... I'm worried for you guys because if you guys don't beat us, I'm worried about what Roman's going to do to you. So this will leave with Jay having a bad taste in his mouth. Jay will be in the locker room with Jimmy and Solo. Jimmy will be trying to hype up Jay for their upcoming match with Kevin Owens and Sammy on SmackDown. And Jay, he would throw out the idea to Jimmy and ask him, what will happen to us if we don't win? What's going to happen to us if we don't win? The title's back, and Roman gets pissed. And he would kind of make eyes motions towards Solo, who's standing right there. And Solo catches that, and he just looks at Jay. And Jimmy, not even trying to listen to that, he would ask Jay, where did you hear all this from? Jay would admit that he did talk to Sammy, so this will lead Jimmy to getting upset. And Jimmy would have to tell Jay that, listen, we're going to win the titles at SmackDown. There's no need for this. You need to stop talking to Sammy. And Jimmy would just leave the locker room area and Solo, again, he would just look at Jay as Jay's just sitting in the chair, just contemplating everything. Jimmy would find Sammy. He would tell Sammy that he needed to watch himself because Kevin Owens is using him because Kevin Owens only wanted to be tag team champions. And now since they got it, and once they lose it, 
Kevin Owens is going to turn on Sammy because Kevin Owens remembers all the Huluva case that Sammy has given him throughout the years. So that will leave Sammy with a questionable mindset because now Sammy has the mindset of, what happens if Kevin Owens does betray me after we probably don't win the titles back on SmackDown? So again, we would go to another segment of Sami Zayn backstage, and you see Kevin Owens talking with Riddle, or shall I say Riddle talking the ear off of Kevin Owens, and Sammy walks in, Kevin Owens asks Sammy, where has he been, because he's been dealing with Riddle all night, and Sammy tells him, I was kind of talking to Jimmy and Jay, and Kevin Owens had to stop him right there, listen, you need to stop talking to them, why are you talking to them, why, I understand you still care for them, but listen, they understand what they're into, they haven't turned their backs on Roman yet, Whatever's going to happen to them is going to happen to them. It's not our problem. And Kevin Owens would just leave and now has, again, Sammy contemplating everything. Riddle tells Sammy, listen, everything's going to be okay. You and Kevin Owens are going to be fine. Win, lose, or draw. You and him are going to be good. Everything's going to be just fine. So this will have to calm Sammy down and we will see what happens between Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn and the Usos when they have their match on SmackDown, which I will be talking to you guys when I talk about SmackDown. Now, after this, we have the Street Profits going against Cedric Alexander and Sean Benjamin. The Street Profits would win the match by pinfall with Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford hitting their tag finish, the Spinebuster, into a frog splash for the win. After this, we will have an in-ring announcement from Triple H. Triple H will talk about Roman Reigns and him coming up on 1,000 Days as champion and talk about how it was good business for Roman Reigns to put himself in position to not defend that championship common but that hasn't been good business for the fans and WWE. So Triple H would announce that whatever show Roman gets drafted to, Roman will stay there and he will keep the WWE Undisputed Universal Champion, while the other show will get a new championship and he will unveil the championship, and it's the World Heavyweight Championship. Same design, but they modified it. They had the big WWE uh, logo in the middle, and they'll still have the side plates of the World Heavyweight Championship, but just like the championships now they will have like the side place where you put your uh champions like logo on it so that's the side place for that but it's still gorgeous looking title they did better than what they did last time they had to unveil a championship in 2016 for the universal championship so they did better with that and the fans on twitter and everybody else they got the consensus that it's a good looking championship certain people don't like it but it's better than the universal championship so deal with it um, and they would admit that on May 26th at Night of Champions, that's when they're going to crown a new World Heavyweight Champion. So we'll have to wait and see who's going to be that champion on May 26th. After this, we had a six-woman tag. Bianca Belair, Raquel Rodriguez, and Liv Morgan going against Damage Control. Bianca, Liv, and Raquel would win the match by pinfall when Bianca would hit Bailey with the KOD for the win as this is still setting up for EO to go against Bianca at Backlash. And the funny thing, the way this match got set up was from a backstage uh, interview that Bianca was having. Then you saw Damage Control interrupted. EO started to say that she wanted a match with Bianca tonight. Bailey interrupted it and said there would be a six-woman tag. EO didn't like that Bailey interrupted it. And you saw EO's face when Bailey was talking. So you can start seeing the dissension right there. EO going against Bianca at Backlash. And with that being the case, damage controls are going to break up. Because I have a feeling that EO is going to be so close to winning the Women's Championship that Bailey's not going to like it. That she's probably going to pull the ref out or pull uh, Dakota out of the ring. Well, not Dakota, but EO out of the ring. Pardon me. And that'll cause some friction between damage control. That's just my way of how I see it 
of what might happen at a uh, backlash. After this, we had Austin Theory, the United States champion, coming down to the ring, and he talked about his upcoming match at Backlash going against Bronson Reed and Bobby Lashley. Theory will complain about the match happening without his permission, but Theory would make note of the World Heavyweight Championship being at ringside and about how that championship should be around his waist. So Theory is gunning for that championship. Bobby will come out to the ring and tell Theory that Theory is holding his championship that belongs to him. Bobby will question Theory about running away from every obstacle instead of running towards it, saying that Theory is young, he shouldn't be a coward, and that he was the one that requested the triple threat match at Backlash. Theory would make a smart comment to Lashley saying that if he could make matches, why didn't he make himself a match at WrestleMania? So this will lead to a brawl between Theory and Bobby with Theory trying to sucker punch Bobby, but Bobby would duck it. And now you have these two brawling. They will make his way outside of the ring. Bronson Reed would appear and attack Bobby Lashley. Theory would help Bronson, even put Bobby like next up to the ring post, and Bronson would hit Lashley with a running splash in the corner. Now you'll see Theory and Bronson throw Bobby into the ring, and Theory would hit Bobby Lashley with the A-Town down. Now Bronson and Theory are standing in the middle of the ring. Bronson is looking at Theory. Theory thinking they're both good. Bronson will hit Theory with a running splash, then hit him with a running senton, and then finish him off with the tsunami. And Bronson will be the last man standing, holding the United States Championship up in the air. So, Bronson Reed has made his... uh, Message known clear. He wants the United States Championship and he's probably wants to win that at Backlash. After this, we had Mustafa Ali going against Chad Gable with Maxine Dupree and Otis in his corner. Mustafa would win the match by pinfall by reversing the Chaos Theory into a roll up for the win. Finn Balor versus Cody Rhodes was next. Cody would win that match by pinfall using the pedigree, then finishing off Finn with the crossroads. After this match, we have Seth Rollins coming out to the ring. Seth would walk over to the World Heavyweight Championship and let it be known that he is gunning for the World Heavyweight Championship. Seth will talk about how the World Championship allows for the wrestlers to push themselves and fight for something instead of it being about politics, and he's taking a couple shots at Roman when he said that. This will lead to MVP and Omos coming out. MVP will talk up Omos since Seth has a match with him at Backlash. Seth will then do his part to talk up the match against Omos at Backlash, then leave the ring. So they did their part in setting up this quick done-up match for them at Backlash. Again, it's still not something that I think people are too aware of. I mean, people want to see it now because it has Seth going against Omos, a big guy going against a hybrid like Seth. I mean, it's still going to be a good match because Seth's in it and he's going to make Omos look good. But just the way that they hot-shotted this thing so quick, eh, that wasn't the point of this. It was This whole point was to get Seth as the guy to look after that World Heavyweight Championship. That's all this whole uh, segment was for. Now, after this, we have the main event, Damian Priest going against Rey Mysterio. Rey would win the match by disqualification when Priest would bring in a chair in the ring, but Rey would knock it out of his hands. Priest would get launched into the second ropes and hit with a 619. And as Rey would go to the top turnbuckle, Priest would get the chair, throw it at Rey, and the ref would make the call for the bell. Now, after the match, Priest would hit Ray with the South of the Heaven, choke slam, throw him out of the ring, and as he looks to slam him through the commentary table, Bad Bunny's music would hit, and Bad Bunny would come out to the entrance stage with a kendo stick. Priest would get in the ring, and you would see Priest stare down Bad Bunny. Bunny would make his way into the ring, still holding the kendo stick, and you just start seeing Bunny just lay into Priest with 
the kendo sticks. And I mean, he was swinging with everything that he got, so he really put it in. He didn't like pussyfoot with that. So as he hits Priest with the kendo sticks, Priest will leave the ring. Bunny will follow him. Uh, Bunny would continue to hit Priest. Priest would grab Bunny, put him on the commentary table, get up there. And as he looks to chokeslam uh, Bad Bunny, Priest would throw Bunny off the commentary table. Bunny will land on his feet and hit Priest with the candlestick to the leg, dropping Priest onto the commentary table. And Priest would just start running away because the candlesticks were too much for him. Bunny would then get a microphone and he would tell Damien Priest that at Backlash, he's no longer hosting the event. He's going to be facing Damien Priest in a street fight. So we now have that match set. I thought it was going to be a tag match of Ray and Bad Bunny going against Priest and Dominic since that was the way it was kind of setting up after uh, WrestleMania. But no, they're going to do a one-on-one street fight, Bad Bunny going against Damien Priest. And I have no problem with this because we know uh, Bad Bunny can do a couple things in the ring because he had a couple matches here and there. And he looked good in there, but he's always was in there with a professional. Damien Priest being the professional that he is, he's going to do what he has to do for business, and he's also going to do what he can do for his buddy, Bad Bunny. So we're going to see what happens at uh, Backlash. Now with that, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to NXT. This is their spring break-in edition of NXT. And first thing to note, next week on NXT, we have Scripps going against Axiom, Gigi Dolan going against JC Jane, Joe Gacy versus Joe Coffey with the caveat, if Joe Gacy wins, the Dyad get a tag team title shot against Gallus. But if Joe Coffey wins, the Dyad doesn't get a tag team title shot as long as Gallus are champions. And I have a question about that, and I'll get to that in a minute. And also to finish off, the North American Championship will be defended when Wesley will go against Drew Gulak next week. Now, the question that I have is the Dyad. This week, like... I believe Sunday or Monday, um, the Grizzly Young Veterans or the Dyad, they went on their public forum Twitter and they announced that they have been denied their WWE release. And they said that their contracts will be ending on October the 15th, but they will be seeing everybody on the 16th. So that begs a question. For this match with Joe Gacy and Joe Coffey next week on NXT, are they going to just replace the Dyad or are they just going to act like the dyad's no longer a thing anymore when Joe Coffey either wins or Joe Coffey either loses. That's the big question mark for me. Are they going to replace the dyad with two more people or are they just going to just throw that out the way it works when Joe Coffey beats uh, Joe Gacy and we're just going to be left with Joe Gacy and Ava Rain in Schism and they're just going to be recruiting new people. Um, we'll have to wait next week on NXT to find out, but that's just something that I was... Real lingering as I was thinking about it. But getting besides that, let's get into the action what happened on NXT. The first match will be the trunk match between the team of Pretty Deadly going against the family, Tony D'Angelo and Stax. The family would win the match by putting Pretty Deadly in the trunk of a vintage truck. When Stax was put in the trunk by Pretty Deadly, and once Pretty Deadly was going to put Tony D'Angelo in the trunk, they open up the trunk, Stax will have a fire extinguisher, and he will extinguish both members of Pretty Deadly. This would allow Tony D'Angelo to hit Kit Wilson in the head with a crowbar, and Kit Wilson would fall into the trunk. And then you see Tony D'Angelo and Stax slam Elton Prince through a table, then throw him in the trunk and shut it. This was a nice little fun, chaotic match to start off uh, their night with the spring break-in. I like that Tony D'Angelo happens to start these events on NXT. I think the last time they had an uh, event... 
for free showing on NXT. You had Tony D'Angelo going against Dijak in like a, what was it? The uh, chain, not chamber, but the lockdown type of match. I like that Tony started that and I like that Tony continued that here. He started off the match here. The match was chaotic. They had like little uh, inflatable like beach pools filled up with like, uh, God, like, not going to say bouncy ball, but like the little kitty balls in there. They used um, not the surfboards, but like the little waffle boards that you can buy at like a Walmart or something. And you see them use those. You saw them use uh, chairs. You saw them use crowbars, as I said already, slam people through tables. I mean, it was a real chaotic match, but at the end of it, the family would win it. And after they put Pretty Deadly in the trunk of the uh, truck, you will see the family drive off with the vehicle with Pretty Deadly inside of it. And towards the end of the night, well, technically at the end, you would see Tony D'Angelo and Stax walking away from a river of some sorts. And they gave the like illusion that they put Pretty Deadly in the water, like sleeping with the fishes to go on with the whole gimmick of mafia style what the family represents so now that that's out the way you got the family now looking for nxt tag team title gold so that's their next uh thing that they want to accomplish so we'll have to see what happens next week with them after this we have braun breaker going against andre chase with Duke cuts in his corner braun would win the match by submission by hitting andre chase with the gorilla press slam and then locking in the steiner recliner or better known as the camel clutch on andre chase and andre would tap out this was a real simple match. Braun Breaker, he got a lot of offense in. Uh, Andre Chase, he got some offense in. But this match was all about Braun Breaker since he's uh, a newer bad guy uh, persona that he's in. And he's just all about just trying to tear people apart. So that's what we got here. And this wouldn't be the last time we would see Braun Breaker tearing somebody up. And I'll get to that in a minute. After this match, we had Lyra Valkyria going against Cora Jade. Cora would win the match by pinfall when Cora brought in her kindle stick in the ring and wanted to use it, but the referee would look at Cora and try to take it away from her. Now you have a tug of war between the ref and Cora with the kindle stick. Lyra would try to hit Cora with a spinning kick, but Cora would move out of the way. Cora would let go of the stick, and as the referee was throwing the kindle stick out of the ring, Cora would chop block Lyra behind one of her knees and then hit Lyra with a double underhook DDT for the win. Now, after this, we had the NXT Championship match of Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Grayson Waller. Carmelo would retain his championship by pinfall when Grayson would try to go for his rolling stunner, but he got his foot caught in the bottom rope, and this would allow Melo to hit Grayson with a super kick, then finish off with nothing but net for the win. This was a good match between Grayson Waller and Carmelo. If I were to really rate either their last year match at um, the Great American Bash or this one. I would prefer the Great American Bash over this one for my personal preference. It's nothing bad here. It's just that I feel that their Great American Bash one, they did more things in that match than this. I think the only thing that caught people's eyes in this match, if we're really going to be honest, is Grayson Waller hitting uh, Mello with a jumping elbow from the ring to the commentary table and smashing it. Again, solid match that they had here, but I feel that their Great American Bash match that they had last year was just better than this one. Now, after the match, Melo would say that he wants a match with Braun Breaker at NXT's Battleground. So Melo would call Braun out. And now you have Trick and Melo looking at the entrance, waiting for Braun to come out because you hear his music and all that type of stuff. But Braun would get the drop 
on Mello, and he would get in the ring behind Mello and Trick and spear Trick Williams. Braun would then grab Mello, hit him with a Gorilla Press Slam, and this would take Mello out. Mello would roll out of the ring, and he would stand next to the NXT perch, well, technically under the NXT perch. Braun would leave the ring and run full throttle and spear Mello through the uh, background on the NXT perch, and that's where we're at with this. Braun would do this, he would get up, break more of the background, and Braun just looks completely unstoppable. He looks like he is a machine right now with the way that he turned his demeanor into just being this unstoppable force of a bad guy here. And Carmelo Hayes, he would be uh, put on a, not going to say gurney, but on a stretcher. And he would be stretchered out of NXT. And they said that he went to a local medical facility, yada, yada, yada. So Braun took care of Melo. And Melo is probably going to be recuperating until what, I'll say two weeks before the Battlegrounds event happens, and then that's where we'll probably see a returning of Melo to get back at Braun to hype up their match at Battleground. That's the way I would at least see it. But by the way, and see you on next week's episode of NXT. After this, we have the mixed tag team matchup of Keanu James and Brooks Jensen going against Fallon Henley and Josh Briggs. Briggs and Fallon would win the match by pinfall. When Briggs was down, Keanu would slide her purse into the ring towards Jensen. Jensen would grab the purse and wait for Briggs to get to his feet. As this was happening, Kiana would shout at Jensen to hit Briggs. Jensen would run over to Briggs, looking at him with it, but Briggs would duck, and Jensen would basically shoot the purse out of the ring. I think this was a miscommunication uh, situation between uh, Kiana and Jensen because Kiana, I feel, was supposed to be closer to Jensen, so when Briggs ducked and Jensen was running towards her, Kiana was supposed to be given the illusion that she was hit by the purse and fell off the ring apron, but it didn't come off that way on TV. I mean, you can easily see that they did not do a good job with that one. Again, NXT is still developmenting uh, these people. They still are getting better, so that's all what developmental is all about. So, I mean, there's why they're able to make these mistakes. But when you see it, you're like, okay, you can tell the miscommunication part and where she was supposed to stand. But overlooking that, Kiana would get on the ground and Jensen would uh, look at her trying to see if she's good and Kiana would shout at Jensen to finish off Briggs and once uh, Jensen turned around, Briggs would nail Jensen with a clothesline to finish off Jensen to cover him to win the match. Now, after the match, Briggs and Fallon would be in the ring celebrating their win as Jensen was trying to calm Kiana down and tell her it's okay because at least they still love each other. Kiana would try to slap Jensen, but Jensen would catch Kiana's hand and look at her. He asked her, you would slap me. I thought you loved me. To which Kiana would say that I never loved you, then walked away from Jensen. Now, Jensen would watch in disbelief, and he's just down on his luck. Briggs would leave the ring. You would see Briggs put his hand on Jensen's shoulder and tell him that he's got him. And it seems that Briggs, Jensen, and Fallon are one big happy family again because Kiana was trying to tear that apart. But that's no longer the case here, so that's where we're at here, and that's where the storyline basically ends. Now, after this, we had the debut of Obafemi going against Oro Mensa, and Obafemi would win the match by pinfall, hitting a pop-up sit-down powerbomb on Oro Mensa for the win. I like this matchup here for a new debuting superstar. The reason why I like this match for Obafemi was that 
in this match, you got a guy like Orman so that you know who is capable of doing things in the ring because he has a championship uh, caliber resume. He was already NXT uh, UK Tag Team Champions over there. And he came over here. He had hype. Apparently, the hype died down. But they still have trust in Ormensa. So they gave Ormensa the task to make this guy look good. And he did. Orbofemi, he was able to throw around Ormensa. He was able to get some power moves off. Ormensa was still able to get his stuff off by chop blocking uh, the big man down. Trying to take him down. Big man, little man style matchup here. But uh, Femi, he just dominated Mensa. And that's what it was needed to be. Especially for a debut matchup here. So, Oro Mensa, he did what he was supposed to do. He did the job. And me, personally, as I was watching this match, I thought to myself, I can see these two being a tag team. Literally. I can see the power of Obafemi matching the speed of Oro Mensa. Those two could be a legitimized tag team. And with this, you will still give Femi the opportunity to learn under somebody like Oro Mensa. And you will have these two at least grow together to gel. Because... Just watching that match, I was able to see, okay, I can see those two being a tag team, but it's NXT. I can see them probably having some ideas for Femi, but just to keep it on the back burner, have the idea to team him with Oro Mensa. Just think about it. Now off to the main event, the triple threat uh, match for the NXT Women's Championship. You have the champion, Indy Harwell, defending her championship against Roxanne Perez and Tiffany Stratton. Indy would win the match by pinfall when Tiffany would hit Roxanne with her moonsault and then go for the pin. But then you see Indy pull Tiffany out of the ring. Indy would get in the ring and finish off Roxanne with a running forearm behind the head to cover Roxanne in pin and retain her championship. This was a solid triple threat matchup here. Um, at one point, you saw Tiffany hit a swanton onto a standing Roxanne Perez and Indy Hartwell outside of the ring. And at that moment, you saw Tiffany look at Roxanne, throw her into the ring. You saw a medical look at Indy Hartwell as Indy was messing around with her ankle. So this took Indy Hartwell out. This happened at the middle of the matchup here. So towards the end of the match, it was a standard one-on-one match between Tiffany and Roxanne. And I knew at that point, okay, Indy Hartwell is going to come right back and we're going to get the whole champions not going to give up like that and try to still uh, retain and try to fight for her championship, which we did get here. And, that's what we got. Indy was able to retain her championship here, and it was a solid triple threat match. There's nothing to complain about here. What I will make a little nitpick thing is, one thing, Indy Hartwell, she does not have any custom side plates for her NXT championship. That's something that I don't like. When you're a champion, you're supposed to have some type of side plates. You're supposed to have some uh, custom side plates, especially since it was probably in the plans for you to be champion. You would think they already made some side plates for you so that you can put it on your championship so it will be yours. And people will be like, okay, that's the champion. Ta-da. Even though we see her with the belt, at least the side plates, just like the name tag at the front whenever you are a champion, it legitimizes you as the champion. I need to see that for Indy. That needs to happen. They need to put some side plates on the NXT Women's Championship for Indy since she is the champion. Give her that respect instead of just having the NXT logo on the side plates. It doesn't make any sense for that. But again, that's just me being a nitpicky guy right here. But now with all that being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now moving over to AEW Dynamite. First thing to note on the show, we'll have Tony Khan make the announcement that the Owen Hart Tournament will begin again. Um, Owen Hart Tournament will have their opening ceremonies at Double or Nothing, and some of the matches will happen at Forbidden Door, 
but he does make note that July the 15th in Canada, that's where the finals will be held. So we have that to look forward to. He does not name the competitors. We'll probably get those competitors named probably right around double or nothing time. But I'm glad to see that the Owen Hart tournament is coming back again. And with that out of the way, let's get on to the show. First match of the night will be the AEW International Championship with the champion Arch Cassidy going against the challenger Bandito. Arch Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall when Bandito would pop Arch Cassidy in the air and Orange would nail Bandito with a Superman punch or better known as Orange Punch, then finish him off with a beach break for the win. Good match between Bandito and Arch Cassidy here. You got the sportsmanship between both of these men after the match. So it was a solid match. The next matchup was Jeff Jarrett going against Dax Hardwood. Jeff would win the match by interference from Sanjay Dutt. When Dax had Jeff Jarrett up in the air for a suplex, Dax would get his legs swept from underneath him by Sanjay Dutt, and Jeff would pin Dax, and Sanjay would hold Dax's foot down, but this pin wouldn't put Dax down. Dax would kick out of this pin, and Dax would see Sanjay Dutt, and he would leave the ring and chase Sanjay around the ring. Sanjay would slide into the ring, Dax would slide in right out of the room, and this would allow Jeff Jarrett to hit Dax with a stroke to cover him for the win. Now, after this, we had Warlow with Arn Anderson in his corner going against a scrub. Warlow would win the match in dominating fashion by pinfall by hitting four power bombs in a row. After the match, Arn Anderson would get a mic and talk about the reason he is with Warlow. Arn would say that he has been in the wrestling business for 40 years, and for the past three years, he has walked the halls of AEW. And Arn says that he has noticed that Warlow is AEW's diamond, their franchise player. So Arn is here to make sure that Warlow can be that franchise. So as Arn is talking about what the things Warlow might have to do when the time is necessary for it, Christian Cage and Luchasaurus would make their way onto the entrance stage. They make their way down to the ring, but they would never get inside the ring. You would have Arn Anderson and Warlow looking at Luchasaurus who's standing outside of the ring. And Christian Cage, he would start walking up the ring steps, but as soon as he gets to the top step, he would just look at Warlow. Warlow's ready for Christian to come in. And he would just decide to walk back down the steps and walk to the back. This was a mind game for Christian Cage because we know we're building up to Luchasaurus going against Warlow at AEW's Double or Nothing event for the TNT Championship. So we're building up to that. It's just that we're getting a thing of mind games between Christian Cage and Warlow and Arn Anderson. I'm not certain how I feel about this yet. I got to wait and see how the weeks will go about it, but... I'm cool with the match idea of Warlow going against uh, Luchasaurus. Now, after this, we had the finals of the Pillars Tournament between Sammy Guevara and Darby Allin. MGF will be our commentary for this match because, make note, if Sammy Guevara does win the tournament, he goes against MGF and they have this deal that Sammy will be laying down for MJF in their match at Double or Nothing so MGF could retain his AEW World Championship. So that's the reason why MGF is out here to make sure that Sammy would win, which does happen the match would end in chicanery when Darby Allen was on the top rope looking to hit the coffin drop Ty Mello would get on the ring apron and distract the referee MJF would run off the commentary table set run down to the ring grab Darby's skateboard throw it to Darby Darby would catch it Sammy would hit the Eddie Guerrero tactic where he falls on the ground and pretends like Darby hit him the referee would turn around look at Darby Darby would throw the skateboard and Darby would tell the ref I didn't hit him but the referee would ring for the bell, and he would give the win to Sammy for the disqualification. Now, after the match, MGF would attack Darby Allen. Sammy Guevara would join in. 
Jungle Boy would run down to the ring with the chair, but Sammy and MGF would already be out of the ring by that time. MGF and Sammy would gloat on the entrance stage as they are the two guys that's going to be main eventing double or nothing for the AEW World Championship. But Tony Schiavone would get up from his seat at the commentary table and stop their celebration to let them know that Tony Khan has informed him that since Sammy did win the tournament, his place at double or nothing in the main event is set. There's no way they're pulling out of that. But next week, Jungle Boy and Darby Allen will be facing MJF and Sammy Guevara. And if Jungle Boy and Darby win that match, that match at Double or Nothing will no longer be a one-on-one match. It will be a Pillars Fatal 4-Way match for the AEW World Championship. So more than likely, we're going to get that match at Double or Nothing. We're going to get some dissension between MJF and uh, Sammy Guevara next week. And we're going to get that Fatal 4-Way at Double or Nothing. Because once this announcement has been made, you see MGF, he's upset. Sammy tries to calm him down. They walk backstage. Um, they're about to leave the arena, and you see a car right there waiting. MGF will open up the door. MGF's about to get in. Sammy's trying to follow him into the car. MGF will ask Sammy, what are you doing? Sammy will say, we're about to leave. MGF will stop Sammy and say, listen, the car is all filled, and I'll see you next week. The camera shot will show that nobody's inside the car except for the driver and MJF. And Sammy will see this and you see MJF's vehicle drive off and Sammy's just staring at it and he has a smile on his face and he unravels his tape and he's like, okay. So you know there's going to be some dissension between MJF and uh, Sammy next week. So my only question is, I wonder who's going to take the pin. Will it be Sammy walking away from MJF or will it be MJF walking away from Sammy Guevara next week? So we'll have to wait and see who takes the pin. Now, after this, we have Adam Cole coming down to the ring. Adam Cole is all pissed off, and he will call Chris Jericho out to the ring, and he will call out Chris Jericho for having him handcuffed last week and watch as Britt Baker got caned by the outcast. And Adam Cole would mention that he couldn't do nothing, but he swears to God that he's going to make Chris Jericho pay for what he did. Chris Jericho would not appear in person in front of Adam Cole, but he would show up on a Titan drawn, and Chris would try to provoke Adam by calling him a coward for doing nothing last week. Chris will say that he wants nothing to do with Adam Cole, but since his goons after Adam. So now we have 2.0, Jake Hager, and uh, Daniel Garcia coming down to the ring. And there's a four-on-one beatdown until Orange Cassidy and Bam Dito would run down to the ring. Now it's four-on-three, and Jericho Appreciation Society still has the control until Roderick Strong would run down to the ring and clear the ring of Jericho Appreciation Society. Yes, Roderick Strong. The last time we saw Roderick Strong was in WWE's uh, NXT, I believe, a couple weeks before um, Halloween Havoc in 2022. So, dude, it has been months since I have seen Roderick Strong on television. It has been months, and I have been wondering. I will always have conversations with my dad because my dad watched wrestling, and he asked me what's going on with the stuff, and I... He would ask me, and I would get into a conversation about, where's Roderick Strong? He should have been back on TV by now, but there would never be nothing. No uh, journalist that covers wrestling had any like information on what's going on with Roderick Strong in WWE. Nobody. And usually, you'll always get like confirmation of somebody's contract getting done, or they're being released, something. But Roderick, he was silent on the matter. WWE was silent on the matter. There was nothing to state anything about Roderick being done with WWE. So it came to a surprise from everyone when Roderick would run down to the ring to help out Adam Cole here. So 
the prophecy is being fulfilled at least one step at a time. Right now, AEW has Adam Cole on the contract. They have Kyle O'Reilly on the contract. They now have Roderick Strong under contract. They're missing Bobby Fish. Bobby more than likely will be coming back to AEW, if not for a long-term contract. Could probably be making like per like handshake agreements with Tony Khan. At least the way that I feel, because I know Tony's a wrestling fan. He loves wrestling a lot. Like he's a historian on it. So I feel that him having literally three-fourths of the Undisputed Era the same way that he did what last year when he had all three members with Bobby, Kyle, and uh, Adam, and he didn't have Roderick here. Right now, it's not like the reverse. He doesn't have Bobby here, but he has Adam and Kyle. I have a feeling that when Bobby wants to come back into AEW, into the fold, they're going to do that, and we're going to literally get the Undisputed Era in AEW, but probably under a different name. Again, probably called the Undisputed Elite or something like that, but it's good to see Roger Strong here with Adam Cole, and it will be announced that next week on Dynamite, we'll get an eight-man tag of Jericho Appreciation Society members 2.0, Jake Hager, and Dave Garcia going against Arch Cassidy, Bandito, Roderick Strong, and Adam Cole. And again, I'm happy that Roger Strong is with AEW, and we're so close to getting the Undisputed Arrow guys back again. And also, here's a little nugget that Adam Cole and the rest of the Undisputed guys were kind of letting on that they're kind of reuniting was that for the past couple weeks on Twitter, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, I think even Roger Strong, and probably even Bobby Fish. I might be messing around on Bobby, but I know those three. They will be posting up photos of all four of them as the Undisputed Era, and they'll just talk about how much they loved each other on Twitter and all that type of stuff during that period of time. And I just found that weird, and I was like, why are they posting these things? Why are they doing it? I understand they have a friendship, like, okay, cool. But now seeing Roger here, I was like, okay, so they were just dropping nuggets, and they were just trying to let people know, okay, you guys are about to see the Undisputed Era again. So, again... Me being on my nerd stuff, it just brought me back to that when I saw Roderick here. So, again, this tells you how much I am so excited to see Roddy with Cole and hopefully when Kyle O'Reilly gets back from being uh, injured and get his body back together, we'll get the whole Undisputed Era click back in AEW now. Now, on to the next matchup here. It'll be the TBS Championship match. Ty Valkyrie going against Jade Cargill with Mark Sterling and Layla Gray in her corner. Jade would retain her championship by pinfall when Ty will go for the road to Valhalla. But the referee would tell Taya that she can't use the move because remember she has, uh, what is it, cease and desist from Mark Sterling because that's Jade's move. And the referee would notify Taya that if she does use the move, she would get disqualified. So as Taya has Jade up for the move, Taya will have to let go of Jade because she'll get disqualified. So Jade would take the opportunity to roll up Taya Valkyrie for the win and Jade is still your TBS champion. Now, after the match, Jade is in the ring celebrating with her entourage. Taya would attack both Mark Sterling and Layla Gray. The referee would try to calm Taya down, but Taya would almost hit the ref with the road to Valhalla. But referees would run down to the ring to separate Taya from that ref. And Taya is just upset because Taya literally was the closest woman on the roster to beating Jade. And it's all because she could not pull the trigger on hitting the road of Valhalla because she would get disqualified. So right now we're probably going to get a story of Taya probably trying to use different moves as a finisher because this match was literally the closest of Jade losing her TBS championship. So Taya could hang her hat on that one, but this thing between Taya and Jade is not going to be over. Now after this, we get to the main event, a tag team match, Butcher and the Blade with Kip Sabian in their corner. 
going against Kenny Omega and Kenosuke Takeshita. Brian Danielson will be on commentary for this match. Kenny and Takeshita would win this match by pinfall, when Takeshita would hit the butcher in the face with a running knee. Now, after the match, Brian Danielson would leave the commentary booth, and he would grab a mic, and he would try to entice Takeshita with joining the Blackpool Combat Club, saying that if he trains with Blackpool Combat Club, he knows he's training with the best, he knows he's training with professionals, and he'll be at the top of his game. But if he trains around with the elite, he'll be like Michael Nakazawa, Brandon Cutler, he'll be a joke. And this was all a ruse, so the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club members would get in the ring to attack both Omega and Takeshita, but they only beat up on Takeshita a little bit, and Takeshita would roll out of the ring, but they'll start beating up on Omega a lot. Um, you will see Wheeler Yuta and Claudio hold up Omega. You see Brian Danielson pull out a flathead screwdriver. He hands it off to Moxley because he wants Moxley to pop Omega in the head with it. But before he could do this, the Young Bucks music would hit. Claudio would leave the ring and he'll run up the entrance ramp and he will meet the Young Bucks there, but he'll get hit with a double super kick. The same thing would be to Wheeler Yuta as the Young Bucks were rolling down to the ring. The Young Bucks would get in the ring. They would beat up on Moxley. They'll hit Moxley with a double super kick. Omega will hit Moxley with a knee to the face. And now Omega has the screwdriver. The Young Bucks are grabbing Moxley and they are about to hold him so Omega can hit him with the screwdriver. You see Brian Danielson talk to Takeshita, tell Takeshita to get in there to stop them. Takeshita will get in the ring. He'll get in between Omega and Moxley telling Omega this isn't the way to do things. Don't do it. And this will again allow the Blackpool Combat Club to get in there and start attacking the Elite. They do this, the Elite will roll out of the ring. Now we have Takeshita in the ring with the Blackpool Combat Club. Brian lifts up the arm of Takeshita to make it seem that Takeshita is with the Blackpool Combat Club, but Takeshita would drop his arms and tell them no, he isn't with them. Brian would tell Takeshita that listen, you need to think about what you're doing here. And Wheeler Yuta, he would low blow Takeshita, and you would see Moxley pick up the screwdriver. You would see Yuta and Claudio hold down Takeshita, and you would see Moxley just pop Takeshita right in the top of his head. And he would do it multiple times, and then you start seeing blood coming off of Takeshita's head, and that's how Dynamite will end. Again, with Blackpool Combat Club standing tall over the Elite here. So with that happening, we know we're building towards the Elite going against Blackpool Combat Club at Double or Nothing. We're still on that road here. It has not been announced any type of match of between these two groups at double or nothing i just want to know when that match gets made official what type of match is it going to be is it going to be in uh our anarchy in the arena the way that they had it last year with uh team blackpool comic club going against the jericho appreciation society or are we doing blood and guts or are they saving blood and guts for um free television the way they've been doing for the past what two years now they probably might do that one so scratch that so are we going to get a anarchy in the arena or are we going to get some type of street fight between these two groups it has to go that way at least that's what i'm leaning towards um at double or nothing and still we haven't seen hangman page back yet so i see within another what week or two we're probably going to see hangman back on dynamite to help out the elite here at least that's my feeling but time will tell with that now with that being said that is your aew dynamite wrestling highlights of the week now we move over to Impact Wrestling. First match of the night would be Masha Slamovich versus Jordan Grace. Jordan would win the match by pinfall when Jordan and Masha would be going back and forth trading pinfalls. But Jordan was able to keep her pressure on Masha to gain the win. 
this was a good opening match for Impact and a good match to let people know what the Knockouts division is all about. If you have not paid attention to Impact or you've just forgot to watch Impact Wrestling, I would say go watch Impact Wrestling because they opened up with the Knockouts division and they end with the Knockouts division. And again, the Knockouts division is something that everybody needs to pay attention to because I've said it before and I'll say it again. I feel that the Knockouts division literally is the best women's division in North America. It's better than WWE's women's division. It's better than AEW's women's division. The Knockouts division are the top level women's wrestlers because they're actually given a lot of time to actually wrestle in the ring. So again, good job on the match between both of these two ladies here. Now, after this, we have the Impact World Champion, Steve Macklin, coming down to the ring to call out PCO to fight for the Impact World Championship here instead of doing it at Under Siege. However, this was a big setup because when PCO came out and he got on the ramp, Champagne Singh and Shira would attack PCO from behind. They would throw PCO into the ring. Macklin would leave the ring. You would see PCO beat up on both Shira and Singh and dump them out of the ring. Santino Morello would come out and he would make a match between Champagne Singh and PCO right now with Shira being barred from ringside. So we get that match between PCO and Champagne Singh. PCO would win the match by pinfall by hitting the PCO salt on Singh for the win. And it was made official that next week, Steve Macklin will be teaming up with Champagne Singh and Shira going against PCO and two people that PCO would get to pick in a six-man tag next week on Impact. After this, we would have Johnny Swinger coming out here. He's on his quest to win 50 matches because if he does win 50 matches, he will get an Impact World Championship match. So far, he's had no luck. So he's out here trying to get luck. He goes against someone called El Denirico, who is basically Zicky Dice under a black mask. Um, Johnny Swinger would win the match in such ludicrous fashion when he would pin uh, Zicky Dice in a roll-up pin and get the win. So now he's 1-50. in 50. Now, after the match, you'll go backstage. You'll see Johnny Swinger meet up with Zicky Dice. They'll talk a little bit. Santino Morello will walk up to them and he will tell Swinger that his win has been nullified because of that scam. And so he's back to zero wins. After this, we will have a tag team match of the design with Diener in their corner going against the Impact Tag Team Champions, Ace Austin and Chris Bay. Ace and Bay would win the match by pinfall thanks to Sammy Callahan interfering. When Diener was on the ring apron, Callahan would grab Diener, pull him off the apron and punch him to the ground. Now, Ace and Bay would hit their tag finish, the one two sweet, which is the Art of Finesse, then the fold on Angels to win the match. So this sets up still Callahan having his whole beef with the design, and it gives the champions, Ace and Bay, a win in the win column here so they can build more momentum, and we're just going to have to wait and see who's going to challenge them for the Impact World Tag Team Championships. Now, the next match up was Jody Threat going against Sleazia Sparks. Jody Threat would win the match by pinfall by hitting the F416, which is the F5, but she says 416 because of her uh, area code in Canada, and she gets the win here. Again, solid match between Jody Threat and Sleazy Sparks. They gave Sleazy Sparks a lot of offense against Jody Threat here. I'm glad that Sleazy Sparks is at least making her way on TV. She was a, well, she is a professional wrestler, but she used to be in Ring of Honor when Ring of Honor was uh bought by Sinclair Broadcasting. She used to be with Matt Taven during his early times in 
uh, Ring of Honor, and she used to be like one of the prospects that used to hang around Ethan Page whenever the independence was booming in like 2014, 2015, 16. And she's been like stuck in Canada because they kind of like uh, something with her papers, so she couldn't make her way into America. So I'm glad to see her on Impact, and I hope that she gets a contract, to be honest with you. But time will tell with that. Now to the main event for the Impact Knockouts Championship. We've got the champion, Deanna Perrazzo, defending her title against one half of the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Champions, Taylor Wilde, with her tag partner, Kylene King, in her corner. Now, Deanna would win the match by submission by locking in the Venus de Milo, which is a double arm bar on Taylor, and Taylor would say to the ref that she does quit to have Deanna retain her championship. Solid match between Deanna Perrazzo and uh, Taylor Wilde here, as I said before, with Jordan Grace and Masha Slamovich. This was a good match. I'm glad that Impact is showcasing the knockouts. They always have showcased the knockouts, but to have them at the beginning of the show and the end of the show, perfect choice. After the match, Kylie King would attack Deanna Perrazzo from behind. Taylor Wilde would join her. So now it's a two-on-one beatdown until Jordan Grace would run down to the ring to beat up on Kylie King and Taylor Wilde to send them rolling out of the ring. Now you have a stare down between Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace. And Jordan would tap the Knockouts Championship on Deanna's shoulder to let her know that she still wants that championship. So we still have that situation going. Uh, remember, Deanna Perrazzo, she beat Jordan Grace at Rebellion to become the new Impact Knockouts Champion. So Jordan Grace still wants that championship because she never really got a fair matchup, quote-unquote, with Mickey James, who was the champion, but had to forfeit. So we'll probably get that match somewhere down the line between uh, Jordan and Deanna Perrazzo, maybe on free television, maybe. I'm thinking they might do that so they can set up another uh, challenger in the meantime to face off whoever the champion is going to be. But as I said before, time will tell. Now with that, that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we go off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Triple H coming out to the stage, and he would announce that since this is the first night of the draft, he would let the rules be known that 50% of the entire roster will be drafted tonight, while the other 50% of the roster will be drafted on Monday Night Raw. He also would state that NXT wrestlers were eligible for the draft. So Triple H would start off by reading off the first round draft picks for Raw and SmackDown. The first pick would be the trio collection of Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Solo Sokoa. Now, after he gets done reading that off, he will let it be known that since Roman is now assigned to SmackDown, we will be crowning a new World Heavyweight Champion on Monday Night Raw, since the Raw Championship was unveiled on Raw this past week. And SmackDown's other pick would be the Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair. Raw will select Cody Rhodes and Becky Lynch. So, with Bianca being the Raw Women's Champion... We probably know what's going to happen. Either she either loses to Io Sky at Backlash or she will retain. And we will get some type of title like swap between uh, Bianca and Rhea Ripley. Because I don't think nobody's thinking that Rhea will lose to Selena Vega at Backlash. But time will tell with that. And also, I forgot to mention that the draft picks do not become official until after the Backlash pay-per-view. So whoever gets picked on SmackDown and Raw, they're still going to be on their shows until the backlash pay-per-view and then the whole actual draft picks will be going into action the first night after backlash so with those draft picks 
being selected for the first round, Triple H would introduce the Usos to come out. The Usos would declare their victory tonight to Roman Reigns since Roman hasn't been answering their emails, their texts, their phone calls because Roman is still pissed about WrestleMania. The Usos losing to Kevin Owens and Sammy. This will lead to Kevin Owens and Sammy walking out to the stage and Sammy will once again try to talk some sense into the Usos about Roman not communicating with them, how they're left out here on an island all by themselves, and how they were left out in the cold while Roman and Solo and even Paul Heyman got drafted over to SmackDown, but not the Usos. There is something to note that the Usos will be eligible for the draft on Monday Night Raw. This is something new that they did kind of start doing this uh, time for the draft that only a select people were eligible for the draft, while the other big like heavy-hitting names will be eligible for the draft on Monday Night Raw. So, for example, this episode of SmackDown, you had, like, the Roman Reigns, Cody Rose, those are, like, big heavy hitters, and also, like, Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre that were eligible to be drafted, and they did get drafted, while people like, oh, I don't know, a Seth Rollins, a Brock Lesnar, an Omos, those type of guys, they were not eligible to be selected on SmackDown, but they will be eligible whenever the next episode of Monday Night Raw will be happening. So, they'll be eligible for the draft. For Raw or SmackDown to grab them up. So that's just something to point out there. So we get that. You get the whole stare down between the Usos and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And that's how this segment would end. Our first match of the night would be Butch going against LA Knight. LA Knight would win the match by pinfall by hitting the BFT on Butch. And this would just increase his stock as the draft continued. Now after this we would get the second round picks. And RVD would pick for Monday Night Raw. While Michael P.S. Hayes would pick for SmackDown. SmackDown would choose the Street Profits and Edge, while Raw would choose Imperium and Matt Riddle. Now, I'm happy to see Imperium go over to Raw, because last week I stated that Imperium should be going over to Raw, because Gunther, we all know he can wrestle, we all know what he's capable of, but WWE is storyline driven. Yes, wrestling is a big factor, but storyline is much more uh, top-notch than the stuff inside the ring, majority of the time, because you got to sell people on the story, you got to sell people the fight to make them actually want to watch the show and or the pay-per-view. And Gunther, he has the skill to pay the bills in the ring. We all know that. But storyline driven wise, we don't know so much how how much Gunther and the rest of Imperium can do under WWE format of storyline telling. So now with Imperium going over to Monday Night Raw, this gives them time to actually build stories around uh, Imperium and Gunther more importantly because we know Gunther is like the future of the main event scene for WWE so now he's over to Monday Night Raw so now you can kind of guess Austin Theory is going to be going over to SmackDown but he does not get drafted on this episode of SmackDown he'll probably get drafted on Monday Night Raw now after these draft picks we will get our another match of the night it'll be a triple threat tag match the Street Profits going against Ricochet and Braun Strowman going against LWO's Joaquin Wilde and Toro Cruz the Street Profits would win the match by pinfall by hitting Ricochet with their tag finish to Spinebuster Frog Splash for the win. And this just gives Street Profits momentum as they are now coming over to SmackDown. Now we will get to the third round draft picks. Teddy Long and JBO will come out to read the picks. SmackDown will be selecting Bobby Lashley and the club, which consists of AJ Styles, Carl Anderson, Lou Gallows, and Meechin Mia Yim, while Raw will select Drew McIntyre, and The Miz. Now, Bobby Lashley, he hasn't been on SmackDown in some time now. I think the last time he was truly on SmackDown was what? When he first debuted, I think after 
he left WWE, and then when he came back in twenty, what twenty eighteen, he's only been on Monday Night Raw, and before he even left WWE, like he was on SmackDown for that period of time. Then he went over to ECW, then Raw, then he left, went to Impact, came back in twenty eighteen. He was been on Raw for no, for all that time since then. He has never been on SmackDown since he literally debuted. So now with Bobby being back on SmackDown, this should be a nice like refresher course for Bobby and a nice like little paying homage to him being back on SmackDown. And now with the OC or the club, whether I like to call him that, having AJ Styles here, we now are going to probably see AJ going against Roman Reigns. And I want that to be the feud of the summer because AJ Styles, when he first came into WWE in 2016 and Roman was the champion after Mania, we had those two great, and I mean this with pun intended, phenomenal matches between AJ Styles and Roman Reigns. Just back-to-back pay-per-view main events between those two guys. Extremely, extremely great. Now with Roman having the God character, the boss, like final boss level character that he is now, God mode, going against a more matured uh, WWE base formatted style of AJ Styles who's still phenomenal but he's now worked a WWE format he's able to craft his stuff to a point that okay this is what it needs to look like and everything else mixing it up with the god character Roman I think it would blow everything out the waters so I'm hoping that they run this back this summer personally so it was good for that to happen here um after this we get our next match it will be Selena Vega going against uh Sonya Deville with Chelsea Green in her corner Selena would win the match by pinfall by ducking Sonya Deville's uh, running knee, then rolling up Sonya for the win. Now, after the match, you would get Selena Vega getting attacked by Rhea Ripley from behind when Rhea would dropkick Selena right in the back. Sonya Deville would see Rhea and turn Rhea around. Rhea wouldn't hesitate and headbutt Sonya Deville. Rhea would then go over to Selena, trying to hit Riptide, but Selena would counter it into a DDT. Then Selena would quickly scurry out of the ring and run to the back and they're already building up this match between Rhea Ripley and Selena Vega for backlash and we already get the David versus Goliath type feel for this because Selena is smaller in stature and in built towards like Rhea in comparison but it's always that possibility and that slight chance of hope that you might can see a big like a big win for Selena because Selena is going to be going up against Rhea in Puerto Rico. She's the first Puerto Rican women's wrestler. I believe she like tweeted that out. And for her to go to Puerto Rico and do this in front of her people and hopefully look to get a win over Rhea Ripley, that will be a big milestone in her career. If she can do it, we'll have to wait and see. I don't think that they're going to do that. I think they're going to give Selena a lot of like, momentum and a lot of offense in that match with Rhea Ripley, but do I think she's going to win at Backlash? I don't think so. But time could switch over and have Selena win just for the shock value, but we'll see about that. Now after this, we would get the club coming down to the ring. This will be AJ Styles' first time in a WWE ring since the beginning of the year because he got injured with a broken ankle. So he looks to be all healed up here. You have AJ, Mia Yim, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows in the middle of the ring. But before AJ could say anything, the Viking Raiders would come down to the ring. The OC would handle the Viking Raiders easily. And AJ would say that they have just gotten started. 
So the OC or the club looks to completely run roughshod over SmackDown, and I can't wait to see it. Hopefully, again, we will get AJ Styles going against Roman Reigns in the summer, and that will be the feud of the summer. Now we're off to the fourth round draft picks, the final draft pick round of the night for Raw and SmackDown. We have Shawn Michaels and Road Dog coming out here. Um, Shawn would pick for SmackDown, and she would announce that Damage Control and the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, Alba Fire and Isla Dunn, have been selected for SmackDown. While Road Dog would announce for Raw, they have selected Shinsuke Nakamura and the NXT Women's Champion, Indy Hartwell. Now, you would go and get the NXT camera down there. You would get an NXT shot of, like, the wrestlers in NXT watching the draft. They would just clap it up for their buddies. You would see Grayson Waller literally hug Indy Hartwell. And Grayson Waller is supposed to be this big douche, but this is a character-dropping moment. This is him just being happy for his fellow Australian mate of Indy Hartwell. So he was so happy for her. Indy is wearing a boot on her foot, which... This corroborates to people and also wrestlers saying that the stunt that we saw on NXT, it wasn't just a stunt. I thought it was, but no, you saw her with a boot. She actually did hurt herself, so she's going to probably be on the shelf for a little bit. And this does leave NXT in a conundrum here, because where do they leave with their top NXT Women's Champions? We will get a NXT Women's Tag Team match set up on NXT for next week's episode between Alba Fire and Isla Dawn defending their NXT Women's Tag Team Championships against Kaden Carter and Katana Chance. But where does this leave the NXT Women's Championship? I have no idea. I think Indy's probably going to vacate it and say that she's going to need some time to sit out. So we're probably going to get a tournament for the NXT Women's Tag, not Tag Team, but the Women's Championship. So I'm hoping that's where they're going with this because... There's a lot of women that can uh, rise to the occasion to showcase themselves, but we'll just have to wait and see with that. Now, after this, we get to the main event of SmackDown for the Tag Team Championships. We get the Usos going against the champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Solo Sokoa would not be out here. He would show up in the middle of the match because we would get a screen-by-screen shot of Solo and Paul watching the match backstage. Paul would get a phone call from Roman. And Paul will let Solo know that it is his time now. So Solo will come out. Solo will get on the stage. You see Solo just standing there looking at the match. And you think Solo is going to interrupt it. But no, Matt Riddle would blindside Solo from the side to start attacking him. Then you would see Riddle just take care of Solo. Now, in the end, we will still get Kevin Owens and Sammy retaining their tag team championships by pinfall. When Jimmy would get hit with a stunner, then Sammy will follow it up with a Huluva kick for the win. So Kevin Owens and Sammy are still your tag team champions. After the match, you will see Solzakoa standing in the audience looking at the ring, and he's just shaking his head a little bit. You see Jay on the outside. He's in disbelief. Jimmy, he's trying to recoup himself, but once he does, he realizes that they just screwed up. They're did not retain their tag titles. They didn't get the tag titles back. And now they're probably going to have to face the wrath of Roman Reigns probably next week. Because remember, they still got a backlash six-man tag match like next week coming with the Usos and Solo going against KO, Sammy, and Matt Riddle. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays into next week. But with that, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. 
and we move over to AEW Rampage. And a couple things to note on this episode of Rampage, it would be announced that next week's episode of Rampage will start on Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 2.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And on that show, we will get the ultimate or the deletion match of the Hardys and Hook and Isaiah Cassidy going against the firm at the Hardy Compound. And also on May 10th, we will get Kenny Omega going against John Moxley in a steel cage. But next week on Dynamite, we will get Soraya going against Willow Nightingale. Now, the first match of Rampage will be a tag team matchup. Bullet Club Gold's Jay White and Juice Robinson going against Ricky Stark and Sean Spears. Juice and Jay would win the match by pinfall when Sean Spears had Jay White in position to hit the Death Valley driver. Jay would get off of Sean's shoulders and hit him with the Blade Runner for the win. After the match, you would see Ricky Starks attack Jay White from behind. Juice would get in the ring and attack Ricky and allow Jay White to get out of the ring. Ricky and Juice would throw hands and when Ricky would go for the spear, Juice would slide out of the ring and he would run up the ramp with Jay White. So this is still a continuation of the problems and beef that Ricky has with now Juice Robinson and Jay White. After this, we will have Dustin Rhodes and Keith Lee going against Charlie James and Bradley Pierce, two scrubs. Keith and Dustin would win the match by pinfall when Dustin would throw Charlie James to Keith Lee so Keith could hit the spear bomb for the win. After the match, Swerve Strickland and Mogul Embassy would stand on the entrance stage looking at Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes because Swerve still has problems with Keith Lee. They have not figured that out yet. They haven't got a one-on-one match between those two guys yet. I'm hoping that they get somewhere with that because I'm kind of tired of seeing Swerve and Keith is kind of managling on in this feud. They need to get some type of match like stamped out on Dynamite or have them be like the big time main event on a live episode of Rampage. Something like that needs to happen with these two because Swerve and Keith are two guys that came over from the WWE when they both got laid off and when they went to AEW, what, last year, they were like the two biggest signings and right now, they're not being used the way that I would think they should be used, but I'm still giving Tony Khan time because Tony Khan knows what he's doing for certain individuals and he likes to like slow burn it with people, but with people like Swerve and Keith, I don't think they need to be slow burned. I think they need to just be thrown right into the fire and let them do what they need to do. But again, we'll wait and see with that. Now, the next matchup was Anna Jay going against Ashley Dubois. Ashley would lose the match to Anna when Anna would lock in the Queen Slayer and make Ashley tap out. The Queen Slayer is a sleeper hold. So Anna Jay would win the match by submission. After the match, the lights would go out. And when they turn back on, Julia Hart would be in the ring and she would attack Anna Jay from behind. At first, Julia would get the best of Anna until Anna would throw Julia into the ring post and then start bending Julia around the ring post. So they still are building on this feud with Anna Jay and Julia Hart. And I'm not certain how I feel about it personally. I understand what they're trying to do here. JAS doing something with the females with Anna Jay and House Black. Try to do something with their female, uh, Julia Hart here. Okay, cool, whatever. But this is another one that need to wrap up quickly. After this, we have the six-man tag, the acclaimed and Billy Guns going against three unknown guys. The acclaimed and Billy will destroy the three guys rather quickly and win by pinfall when Billy will hit one of the guys with the famous sir and then throw them to 
the acclaim and they will finish them off with the arrival and the mic drop for the win. Now we're off to the main event. Cash Wheeler with Dax in his corner going against Jay Lethal who had Jeff Jarrett, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh in his corner. Mark Briscoe would be out there to be the enforcer in the match to try to make sure nobody will interfere in this. But there would be some shenanigans because Jay Lethal would win the match thanks to Sanjay Dutt interfering. When Cash had Jay down for the pin, Sanjay would slide in the ring like a cat and get so close to the ref's face and the ref would stop his count and look at Sanjay and tell him to leave the ring. Sanjay would leave and he would stand on the ring apron. Mark would get on the ring apron and talk to Sanjay Dutt. Cash would stand and walk, start walking towards Sanjay, but Jay would push Cash into Mark Briscoe, knocking Mark off the apron. This will allow Jay to hit Cash with the lethal injection for the win. Now, after the match, you would see Mark Briscoe like talking to Dax and like shouting with Dax a little bit. You would see Cash kind of looking at Mark and shouting with Mark a little bit. So this is starting to cause some dissension with Mark and FTR here because this whole thing with Mark Briscoe, FTR, and Jay Lethal and company is about Jay trying to manipulate Mark to joining his group and FTR trying to keep Mark away from Jay, trying to tell Mark that Jay's just trying to manipulate him. So that's this whole situation. But it's more likely going to end up in a six-man tag of Jay, Jeff, and probably Sodom going against FTR and Mark Briscoe. That's the way I see this thing ending, but... We'll have to wait and see. But with that, that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get out of here, I got to make one quick note. This past week on Monday night, before Raw did air, um, CM Punk, he was around the stadium. Well, not the stadium, but the building. Uh, he was talking to, apparently, some of the wrestlers back there. For certain, he was talking to Tamina because somebody in the parking lot did tape uh, CM Punk talking to Tamina for a short minute before Tamina had to go back and then you see Punk just standing there by himself so you knew Punk did at least talk to some wrestlers for a fact he did talk to Tamina so that led to a lot of people speculating was what was the reason CM Punk was there why was he there he's still under contract with AEW is he trying to get fillers out from WWE I don't think that's the case I think Punk is just trying to mend fences with people that's what I think it is, because there's no reason why he would actually want to go to a backstage thing with WWE. I understand he has friends there. I mean, he had friends there for the past, what, when he left WWE in 2014, all the way till he came back in 2021. In AEW, he had friends in WWE all that time. But for him now to go at that building, I think now he's just trying to make a, like amends and trying to... Uh, clear the path, not for him to make a return, but just for him to at least say, you know what, I wronged some people or I've said certain things. I actually just want to make good and apologize or whatever, trying to squash the beef. They did say that he uh, talked to The Miz and they see that they got some things squashed. It was always, and Miz has said it, it was never out of Miz's side. It was always Punk's side. Punk was upset that The Miz got the day, uh, main event of WrestleMania, and he didn't. Punk even said that on his WWE documentary DVD, so that is there, and that's for fact. Um, Punk is throwing shots at WWE from time to time, but, I mean, you get somebody like Punk who's always standing on his grounds, he means what he says, and for him to now try to make amends, I find that commendable because when you're in a position like Punk, Around that time, 
Punk was hot as fish grease, but he just wasn't in the main event spots where he was supposed to be. He wasn't like the main focus when he was supposed to be. He was WWE champion over for WWE. And then for him to get fired on his wedding day. Yeah, anybody and everybody will be pissed off at that company and they probably will hold a grudge until they die. But I think Punk is now on his whole uh, try to give out forgiveness or be forgiven for his past uh sayings of said company or sayings with former co-workers that he's said some things about in the past i think punk's on that uh trial and path now and i find that commendable because everybody has to grow up people always say well you gotta grow up sometimes so punk's doing what he's doing and i think punk's doing it just because he wants to do it because there's a lot of people that knows Punk and says Punk is a dickhead. And then when he doesn't want to do it, he just doesn't want to do it. So for Punk to go out and talk to The Miz, and they say that he tried to talk to Triple H, and everybody in the wrestling world knows that Punk and Triple H did not have the best, uh, they didn't have the best relationship. Same thing with Punk and Vince. Punk and Vince's relationship was not the best, especially when Punk was leaving out. So for Punk to now try to make amends with Triple H, and they did report, he did try to talk to Triple H. So that tells you that Punk is trying to at least make amends with him. They didn't say that Punk tried to reach out to Vince. I'm not certain if Punk is trying to do that one. That would probably be like the biggest, big one for him. But at least for a fan, the way that Punk talked about Vince, that's the one that I think that he's not really going to try to mess with like that yet. But I could be dead wrong. So, and Punk, he hasn't said nothing about this yet. Punk hasn't went on Instagram. He hasn't tweeted anything out. So, we'll just have to wait and see about that. But again, Punk was around the uh, Chicago building where Raw was this past week. And he did at least speak with some WWE wrestlers. That can be confirmed because he did talk to Tamina. So, you can just best believe he probably did talk to some other uh WWE wrestlers at that exact same building. So um, I don't know where this leaves Tony Khan personally. I think Tony still wants to bring CM Punk back since he still has Punk under contract. I think that would be the best thing. And I think for Punk to come back, I think he needs to have a microphone in his hands, be in the middle of the ring and probably start making amends with everybody that he did of have any problems with. He can just apologize to the fans because I know Punk wanted to be there for the fans. He said he wanted to wrestle. He misses them. So I can see Punk going out there and apologizing to fans for not being there. I can see Punk apologizing to AEW as a business because of what he did at the all-out press conference. And I can see even Punk even like making a public apology to probably even the Bucks and Kenny Omega. I can see that happening since Punk's on this whole forgiveness thing right now. I can see all that. And again, this is just me just throwing it out there. I'm not certain if that's going to happen whenever he comes back to AEW, but I could see it being one of his first promos the exact same way that he did when he made his return back to professional wrestling as a whole on AEW, like Rampage's first show. So again, we'll have to wait and see, see what's going on with that. But now with all that being said, I just wanted to throw that out there and just see what might could happen with Punk. But I did want to inform everybody what was going down with Punk in this past week with Punk being at the Chicago building. Now, with that all being said, this has been the Wrestling Highlights of the Week. 
presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i i am him i love you all do not forget i do have a sunday episode coming out tomorrow and i already have a wednesday episode midweek breakdown go out there and have a listen to that um i think that's it but with that being said i hope you guys have a great saturday i love you all please be safe please be careful and just text everyone that you do love and tell them that you do love them that's all i basically got for you guys with that now with that being said i love you all i thank you and kanye can you please take these people home i'm tired you tired Uh jesus wept